Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, what if Jesus wants to get his good news out into the world, but we aren't ready? What then? That's where we're going today, as we dig back into our story in Acts. If you're just new with us, we've been traveling through this story in Acts. It's the fifth book in the Bible, and it's the uh, earliest history we have of the church. Uh, It starts with Jesus risen again from the dead, telling his followers that soon the Holy Spirit would come and fall on them and they would be his witnesses in the world. And and then he leaves them. And we see that happen. And we talked about how this earliest story can be captured uh, quite simply by, by looking at it as Jesus gives a promise and then the Holy Spirit goes about fulfilling that promise. So in, in chapter 1, Jesus gives the promise. He says, wait. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, right where they were in the capital city, and in Judea and Samaria, the surrounding area, but also to the ends of the earth. That's the promise Jesus gives. And what we find out right away in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and immediately that promise begins to be fulfilled. But the Holy Spirit keeps fulfilling that promise, keeps doing it again and again and again. And we see the good news go out from there. And you can actually read the whole story of Acts through that lens. Jesus gave a promise. Now, how is the Holy Spirit fulfilling that promise in these people? By extension, how is he fulfilling it in us? Now, like us, everyone who first heard this promise that Jesus gave, they were like, oh, that's awesome. We are so down with that. We are so excited that the good news about Jesus and his resurrection is going to go to the ends of the world. But when Jesus made that promise, there was something that was hiding in plain sight. The Old Covenant had promised it. The ancient prophets had pointed toward it. But nobody really got it. And something was fast becoming a reality that was going to challenge everyone who had been following Jesus so far. Now, what was it that everyone heard but no one understood? It was this, that the good news of Jesus was actually for everybody. It was for Jews and Gentiles. Now, these were all Jews at the start. The fact that was hiding in plain sight was that the Jesus, who was the Jewish Messiah, was also the king of all the nations. And most importantly, and most shockingly, that these non-Jewish Gentiles would not have to become Jewish to follow Jesus. They could follow Jesus as Gentiles. But it's fair to say in these first few years after the Holy Spirit came that no one had done that math yet. (laughs) hadn't quite realized where this train was going. No one had actually stopped and said, wait a minute. What would this promise of Jesus being fulfilled actually look like? So they were nodding their heads but not realizing what it meant. Maybe more to the point, how is this going to change us? Or perhaps, if we get right down to it, does that mean we have to eat with those guys? They hadn't quite thought that one through yet. But the Holy Spirit knew, 
He knew where this was going, and he was busy working things up to this very moment. Now, the good news of Jesus' resurrection had already been leaked, like a memo from the White House. It had already been leaked to the neighbors, right? So Samaritans were already getting in on it. There was this random Ethiopian guy who got in on it. But the Holy Spirit is now going to kick it into high gear, and he's going to throw the door open wide and make room in his family for everybody else to be full members of his covenant people. And so what follows, the story in Acts 10 and 11, which we're looking at this week and next week, it was too big to look at in one week, where a Roman centurion named Cornelius comes to faith in Jesus. But then also in Acts chapter 15, where there's, it's called the Jerusalem Council, where the apostles and the initial kind of movers and shakers in the church, they make the decision that, that non-Jewish Christians don't actually need to follow the Mosaic law to be Christians. So in Acts 10 and 11 and then Acts 15, these were watershed moments in the history of the church and in the history of the world. Quite literally, history would never be the same because of what happened right here in these stories. But this was no simple thing. The fact that God was including Gentiles and that these Gentiles didn't need to become Jews was earth-shattering for these Jewish followers of Jesus. And it was, a, it was a struggle in the early church, the first number of decades, to figure out what that meant. In fact, living by the Spirit as God's people, who are now suddenly, surprisingly, both Jew and Gentile, is the defining struggle of the early church. Like the first number of decades, you can maybe even say the first hundred years of the early church, this was the thing they were trying to figure out. Jesus made us the one people of God. Fact. Now, how do we live as the one people of God? Like, what do we do with each other? How do we do this thing? Apostle Paul, he was helping Jewish and Gentile Christians figure that out, live out this new identity as the one people of God, when he said this in the book of Galatians. He said, and listen to how he's doing it. Listen to how he's helping them understand what it means that they're now one. He says, so, in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. All of you. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then here's the, the, you know, the bomb, the gospel bomb in the middle of all this stuff. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, all those things that previously had divided you from each other no longer apply. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You're all in the family now. Now, this is just a side tip, but it really helps your reading of the Bible. Whether you're new to exploring what the Bible says or it's old hat for you, remember that when you understand this struggle of figuring out why does it mean that we're one in Christ, what does it mean that we're Jew and Gentile, as well as slave and free and male and female, but particularly Jew and Gentile was the big one, what does it mean? And that that struggle to figure out what that means sits behind much of the New Testament. Many of the letters that Paul wrote as well as some of the other uh, letters that we have in the New Testament, what sits behind that is this wrestling with figuring out what does it mean that we live as the one people of God, particularly Jew and Gentile. Galatians, that's behind Galatians, it's behind Hebrews, it's behind Romans. It's, it's sitting there uh, in plain sight, but it really helps us understand 
our New Testament reading. Well, in today's story, and next week when we continue it, we get to see this happen. And today, as we begin, I think we're going to be really encouraged by what we see, but I also think we're going to be challenged by what we see. Because what we discover is that Jesus often has to do some serious work in us, the ones who are already following Jesus, in order for the good news about Jesus to get out to others who are not yet following Jesus. And it can be a real uh, challenge uh, for us. So let's pull the story together, read the story, and I'll pull out some important points that I I think uh, really help us uh, grapple with this and apply it to our lives. So we're in Acts chapter 10. And we're just going to read the first part of it, uh, first 23 verses. And it's it's kind of features two visions to two different guys. First guy is Cornelius. Next guy is Simon Peter, the, the apostle. So let's read uh, the first vision now with Cornelius. Here's how it starts. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian regiment. So he's a soldier. He's got 100 men underneath him. Pretty important position in a pretty important town. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. This tells us something significant about Cornelius. This is a, a Gentile Roman soldier who has a deep respect, empathy for God and is seeking Him and has a tremendous respect and empathy and interest in the God of the Jews, and he's practicing a life of devotion. And he and his family are, are giving and praying. There's habits in their lives that are already starting to take place, and it's very evident that God is at work there. Well, one day, at about three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. That's the first vision. That's Cornelius. A couple of things are important to to recognize. Not only is it uh, significant that we learn about who Cornelius is, not only his position in Roman society and in the military society and in the town he's in, but also his, his life, his heart, his desire, his seeking. God is clearly at work in him. And when this angel shows up to give him direction, it must have been a profound experience. Let me ask you this, though. Why did an angel just tell him about Jesus? Did the angel not know about... No, no, he knew about Jesus. Could the angel, couldn't the angel have explained everything to him about Jesus? Hands up. Who thinks the angel could have explained everything better than you could have? Yes, I'm, I'm with him. Um, yep. How come the angel didn't explain that? How come the angel just says, this is where you need to go, and oh, by the way, <clears throat> here's the street address. You ever thought about that? Because sometimes we think... And you hear it sometimes. People say, well, if God wanted me to know, couldn't He just show up and tell me anyway, right? 
you know, I think it was um, one of the famous atheist philosophers from the 1800s who said, if God wanted me to know Jesus, how come he had to go through, you know, Moses and Paul to do it, you know? You just show up, you know, tell me, direct. You have an angel come down and tell me, how come when this angel shows up, all he does is tells Cornelius where to go and who to talk to? Very important. Something consistent all through Scripture. But it's important for you to think that through. Why is that the case? Wouldn't an angel be a better evangelist than you or me? My stumbling words, my attempts to explain. Here's the truth. Woven all through the story of Scripture. God, in this particular case, you see it very clearly, but He always uses chosen human witnesses. And Peter, next week when we hear him explain, he's actually going to draw attention to that. Jesus committed his message about who he was and what he had done. The fact that he had died on the cross and rose again from the dead to human witnesses and gave them the responsibility to share it with others. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, always comes through another human. This is why when we hear these amazing stories about uh, Muslims in prayer having a vision and being told, What? The story is told over and over again. Go and find so-and-so who would tell you about. Maybe they'll say, tell you about Jesus. But go and connect with this person. Go to this place. Go and find other Christians who will then tell you the good news about Jesus. And we see it happen here. We have been committed uh, this responsibility. We are the chosen human witnesses. The church is the chosen instrument through which God brings his message to the world. And so how does the good news come to your neighbor and your friends? Through you, through us, through chosen human witnesses. But the second thing is just as powerful. And this is in particular uh, relevant to Cornelius' story, but it's relevant to everyone else as well. The other reason why isn't just that the gospel needs to come through chosen human witnesses, but also... Because if the angel had just said, here's, here's what happened. Here's what you need to do. Um, you need to know this. You need to believe this. You need to follow Jesus this way. Then imagine, as we'll see next week, the Holy Spirit comes into Cornelius, fills him. He's speaking in tongues and he's following Jesus. And then, then what? Then he has to go and try to convince the rest of the church that he's a genuine Christian. And what's going to happen then? They're going to say, um, well, yeah. Mm, I'm not sure. What we discover as the story unfolds is that it is critical that Cornelius hears the good news through a follower of Jesus so that when the Holy Spirit comes on him, when he discovers who Jesus is, when he receives the Spirit and begins to follow Jesus, he is also included in the church at the same time. It's critical that he be included in the family of God, which is, is like central to the story. The rest of the story we'll see next week. That's why the Holy Spirit kind of waits for Peter until Peter's at a certain point in the sermon, and then he interrupts Peter, the nerve, and then falls on Cornelius, and oh, look, my goodness, he's a Christian too. And he's included. If he hadn't been present, then that would have been a much more difficult thing. And so this angel shows up to give him direction but he doesn't let him in on everything that happens. It also, just as a, maybe a third minor point, it also shows that Cornelius has to show the initiative of trust. He has to do what he's told to do without necessarily knowing where it's going to lead, which is also um, shows something about his, his own heart. Well, that's Cornelius. Um, the vision was fairly simple. The angel shows up, says, Cornelius, go here. And Cornelius goes, done. 
The next vision to come, ha, ah, it's a little more difficult. Let's keep going. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, these three guys coming from Cornelius and approaching the city. Can you see it? Can you see it? I, I can imagine it. Peter went up on the roof to pray. This is the vision that comes in my mind. You know, Peter's up on the second story. It's a flat roof. And Peter's kneeling down to pray. And the camera angle just comes out just a little bit, right? And in the distance, you can see three guys come over a hill. That's, that's kind of what's going on here. This is what Luke wants you to see. Yeah, he's a cinematographer too. All right, so, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of fuzzy, you know, and then it gets sharp, and then it gets fuzzy again. It's real avant-garde, you know. Okay, so Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Everybody, everything's in there. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Like, yeah. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, which... In the Bible, when things happen three times, like, the first time, you can kind of ignore it. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, first time, uh, second time, whoa. Third time, folks, this is like serious business. Pay attention. Three times this happens to Peter while he's praying, and then immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. This is all happening at the same time, right? So Peter's sitting there scratching his head, feeling sick inside. God, how could you? What in the world is going on when there is a, literally a knock at the gate? They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. We don't know if Peter ever got anything to eat. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. When Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Well, that's where we're going to stop the story for today. Let me pull a little bit of explanation out of this second vision before we move to application for us. This vision that Peter experiences challenges his deepest sense of identity as a Jew, as a covenant faithful Jew. The food laws, not eating certain types of animals and enjoying other types of animals. 
those laws sat right at the center of what you could call was an identity marker of the Jewish people. There were other identity markers. Circumcision. uh, Keeping uh, Sabbath. Uh, even the, the Torah, the instruction of God, these were identity markers for the faithful Jew. They marked out what made them, uh, you know, helped them understand who they were, but in particular, in contrast to everyone else who just, you know, works on Saturdays and eats whatever they want to eat and doesn't pay attention at all to what God's saying and, 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 and certainly doesn't circumcise their kids because seriously. So, these kinds of things mark them out. When this sheet is being let down, and he's being told, go ahead and eat up, Pete. This is deeply troubling to him because it's questioning something at the very core identity of who he was. But the point is very clear. It's repeated three times. It's underscored. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, the main point, obviously, is going to have to do with the guys knocking at the gate in five minutes. But make no mistake about it. It also has to do with these identity markers, with the food laws, with circumcision, with Sabbath keeping, even with how the Torah was understood. The markers of who is in the body of Christ, who are part of Christ, are now changed. They're now being marked out by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not whether or not they were circumcised. Not whether or not they ate certain food. Those are no longer markers of the new people, the new covenant people of God. We're going to see this roll out through all the New Testament, but even next week. The markers of who's in has changed. And this vision hammers right at the center of that for Peter. And he's no wonder deeply troubled. Because this is how he's understood it. And he's wrestling through this. What does this mean? What does this mean for me? But in truth, this is all preparation for Peter. At this point, Peter isn't sure what it all means. What he knows, though, is that somehow, because of what happens next, somehow what has just happened in prayer and now was knocking out his gate are connected. God says, don't be afraid to go with them. This is all part of my plan. And so as Peter is beginning to process what does this mean, it gives him the confidence not only to agree to go with them, but also to invite these men in as his guests, Gentile, Gentiles, into his home. This is all preparation so that when Peter is going to bring the good news of Jesus to Cornelius the next day, when he goes to the house of an unclean Gentile, however devout and highly regarded he might be, When he does begin to preach the gospel, he's actually sharing the true gospel. The gospel that invites men and women to follow Jesus without having to become Jewish first. Without having to keep the covenant law, the old covenant law. But there's more on that next week. First things first. What we see in this story is that God had to get the gospel, the good news, more deeply into Peter's own heart and life first before he would then be able to bring the good news to others. Do we see that? It's actually interesting that the the vision that Peter received was much more difficult than the vision that Cornelius received. It required a lot more challenge for Peter than it did for Cornelius. So let me ask you, just as you hear this story opening up, can you see any connections for us? We're going to have some time for questions in a little bit, but for now I want you to just think in your own heart and mind. Are there connections here for us, what might they be? 
I hope you feel some of the connections I felt. Because like it or not, we can be guilty of similar things to Peter. We can be guilty of restricting the good news so that it... We may not say it this way, but we kind of think it really only applies to people that look a lot like us. People who get us. People that we like. Not people that make us feel kind of icky or strange. And we can maybe feel like, well, it's not that the gospel isn't for everyone, but God's not really calling me to go to them, is He? He wouldn't ask me to go outside my comfort zone, would He? And so we can begin, maybe by default, to act as though um, our commission to help people find and follow Jesus kind of only applies to the times where we can go and speak to people who um, we feel comfortable with. People we like. People we share a bunch of similar ideas about life or God or whatever. When Jesus is actually calling us to go and may have to do some serious work in our hearts first to enable that. Now, we're going to explore that further this week, but I want you to hear the bottom line for today. It's very clear. That in in order for the gospel to bear fruit out there, the gospel needs to take root in here. And I just acknowledge that in my own life. Like in order for the good news of Jesus and his resurrection to really change people's lives who are far away from Jesus, who are maybe trying to make sense of life, who maybe in their own lives are are praying and seeking God, but they don't know where to go. In order for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to make a change in their lives out there, it could be that it's me who really needs the work first. That it's my heart that needs to change the most. This is why I titled this sermon, When Christians Need to Be Converted First. Because most commentators would tell you that the one who was really converted in this story was just as much or more Peter as it was Cornelius. And sometimes we are the ones who have to be converted by Jesus for the sake of others before we can ever even take Jesus to them in the first place. Now, it's interesting that Peter's story takes place in a town named Joppa. Have you ever heard of a town named Joppa? You biblical scholars out there, where does Joppa show up? Where do we ever hear Joppa? Who? Jonah. That rascal, Jonah. What did Jonah do in Joppa? Jonah caught a ship because God had told him to go where? Those wicked, stinking, no good Assyrians in Nineveh, God wanted him to go and warn them. And he didn't want to because he knew something about God, which is that God is gracious, and if they say sorry, God will decide not to destroy them. And so in the hopes that God would destroy them anyway, Jonah took a ship from Joppa and tried to go as far away as he could from those people he wanted nothing to do with. Right? Remember that story? Isn't it interesting? I think Luke does this with a little smile. Oh, Peter's in Joppa. Peter's in Joppa. And instead of Peter being like a Jonah, Peter responds to the vision and the call. Instead of Peter saying, I don't want the good news to go to them and go the other direction, he follows the leading of the Holy Spirit and brings the good news across the border, as it were, to the new people. Isn't that a beautiful connection? I think there's a challenge in there, even as we press on. We're the chosen witnesses. Peter's the chosen witness 
And he and his friends are going to head up the coast, as we'll find out next week, and bring the good news to, well, people they didn't expect were going to be included. Well, as I reflected on this story, there were three areas that were highlighted for me, and I just want to raise them for you today. Maybe a bit of personal reflection, a bit of reflection for you, and my hope for you and I, wherever you're at in faith, is that these three things will be, um, well, fodder for some interior work that the Holy Spirit might want to do in us, in me. The first thing that struck me was posture. It's interesting to me that the spiritual practices of both of these men, Cornelius and Peter, were, you could say, the preconditions, certainly the conditions in which they then received the vision that they got. We see in Cornelius' life, this is a man who's devoted to prayer, devoted also to generosity. His life is now being shaped by spiritual habits and practices that the angel himself honors him for. When the angel shows up, he says, your prayers and your gifts have come up like a memorial offering before God, which is actually Old Testament language, like like a sacrificial offering, beautiful thing from this Gentile. And... And there's a, a practice in his life that, that I think sets him up, a posture in his life that sets him up to really receive what God has for him. But the same is also with Peter. Peter's habit of prayer. People's, uh, Peter's going up on the rooftop to pray. This, this sense of a regular, continual something we already have seen in the life of the early church where they're regularly praying as a group, as individuals. They're regularly communing with the Father through Jesus, by the Spirit. It's very Trinitarian. But they're continuing this practice of what they saw in the life of Jesus. That Jesus, as involved as He was in ministry, He would withdraw to times of of intimacy and communion and connection with His Father. And that practice is in place for Peter. For both these men, their spiritual practices were a posture that enabled them to hear. That put them in the right framework, the right space, so that God could speak to them. And I'm challenged by that. In my own life, I'm challenged by asking the question, what is my posture? What are my regular practices? You know, um, sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits, whatever you call them. These regular things that we do in our lives to grow in faith, to listen to God more, to, to understand who He is, to study Scripture, all those things. When it, when, you, when it comes right down to it, those practices, those spiritual disciplines, we can, we can call them, that's what they're often called, they're not things that we do to make ourselves grow. They're not, um, God forbid, they're not like we got little boxes and we check them off. We go, like, oh good, I finally read some Bible today. Whew, now I feel better. Jesus, do you love me more now that I read some of the Bible? No. It's not like that. It's not things we do to try to gain favor with God. It's not things, No, no, none of that is true. The spiritual disciplines at their very heart, and all the Christian mystics and teachers over the years will tell you this, they're really about putting us in a posture of openness so that we can receive what God has for us. It's about being open, more sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. This is why we study Scripture. This is why I'm encouraging this year to memorize Scripture. 
that as we, we place ourselves before God's Word and we put that into our hearts and minds, we're becoming more and more open in this posture of readiness to receive and to hear what God has for us. Different styles of, of prayer, centering prayer, or maybe journaling your prayers. Uh, um, different ways of engaging with, with, with you know, meditation or prayer or scripture or listening or worship. All these things. They're not about pushing something forward. They're really about opening ourselves up. They're postures of openness. So that God can speak. God can do his work. God can, 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 can lead us and, and guide us. And so the very first question out of the gate for me, as I reflected on this story, is what is my posture? My question for you is what are your postures? Because the truth is, lots of times, we are so busy we are doing so much stuff that we don't have much of a posture of openness. I don't say that as a guilt thing. I'm just saying, like, seriously, we haven't slowed down enough. There's not enough, like, press the pause button. We go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and as a result, it's not like the Holy Spirit ain't speaking, it's just that we aren't in a framework to even hear Him. And so the invitation we have through Scripture, but right here, even in this story, is to say, do we... And you need to know, not guilt, not pressure, invitation. Do we have a sense that if we would build into our lives regular practices of posture, moments where we pause and we listen, where we quiet in our hearts and minds, where we sit with God's Word, where we just pray in silence or pray in tongues or pray out loud or pray quiet, whatever works for you, that do we have practices in our lives that would set us up for openness? That would make us more... And, and you know, it's not that every time that happens, you know, don't be that guy who says, I did it three times, it didn't work. I want to do something else. Don't, don't be that guy. Because communing with our, with our Father, learning to listen, is something, there's something beautiful that happens in there, whether it's like an angel showing up, which is pretty rare, or whether it's just the regular communion with God that builds us and strengthens us from the inside. It begins to reframe our lives. Our openness and our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit grows as we put those postures into our life. So my opening application question, what kind of postures, what kind of postures are in your life? What kind of postures? Maybe one that you could add so that you could have more openness as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Consider that. Consider it. The second thing I noticed is the preparation that happens, of course. The posture sets us up for the preparation. You see this in Cornelius' life. You see this in Peter's life. God sees the heart of someone who's far away, sort of outside of the story, as it were, or we thought he was, Cornelius, as well as someone who's right at the very center of everything. You know, Simon Peter himself, man, he's like the guy. He's like the closest buddy of Jesus, even though he's a bit of a knothead and got pushed around a lot because he was who he was. He was right there at the center. And then as the church began, he's like right at the center. So whether it's the person who's considered the, the corest of the corest of the core, or whether it's someone so far off the beaten track that nobody even knows they exist, God sees into the hearts and He begins to prepare them both for this encounter, this gospel encounter. 
which is going to open the floodgates for all the world to come in to the family of God. But, as I already said, God had to prep the missionary a whole lot more than he had to prep the pagan. Can we just note that? The prep that God had to put into Peter, the challenge that he had to give to Peter's prejudice, long-held, and let's be frank, seemingly backed up by God himself, was way more difficult than the simple instructions he had to give to Cornelius. But I'm struck here by how much has to happen. Often in me first. Before the good news can really get to people who are far away. And I say that because I'm challenged by that because it's very easy for me and maybe for you to think the real problem with the good news about Jesus getting out there is who? Them out there. You know, they're the ones who are hard-headed. They're the ones who don't know. They're the ones who don't believe. They're the ones who have all these wacky ideas. They're the ones who you fill in the blank, right? When, ah, maybe... Maybe God's at work out there, but we aren't quite ready to get out there yet. Like, like in this story, God's clearly at work in Cornelius' life. Cornelius is ready. But Peter isn't. And he needs to be made ready. I'm struck by that. Because as Christians, let's be honest, we can still think of others in very unchristian ways. I can have a knee-jerk reaction to people that is based far more on my family of origins than anything Jesus believes. You know, I can have a gut reaction to someone that has far more to do with how my culture has told me I'm supposed to think than it is to do with the Gospel. And that happens to me over and over and over again. That as Christians, we can think in very un-Christian ways. We can have reactions to people because of our political persuasions. We can have a certain perspective on others because, frankly, we've just had a narrow experience in life and we've just never run across those kinds of people before and somehow they're weird and strange and, God, I hope someone can tell them about Jesus. Just not me. You know, whatever. And then sometimes, and this perhaps is one of the greatest challenges of all, It's not even something we can identify because it's so far off our radar that we don't even realize that we're missing it, missing them. That we think the way we think and we feel the way we feel and we assume the things we assume by default and we don't even, not even aware of people that we're not ready to share the gospel with because frankly, well, the gospel has to get more deeply in here first. I'm very challenged by this. I'm challenged by this as I've grown in friendship with people in the indigenous community. I'm challenged because I, like many of you, was raised in um, families and in communities that we would never have said we were racist toward indigenous people. But we were because we thought about them in certain ways. We joked about them in certain ways. We um, would mimic accents of them, and we thought that was funny. We even had, uh, I had indigenous brothers and sisters in Christ in my church growing up, and I still didn't get it 
And so I'm challenged by that because when I consider the damage the church has done to indigenous people, I realize that in order for us to actually bear the good news to indigenous people, Jesus has to do a whole bunch of work in our hearts first. Because frankly, a lot of us, if we were to bring the good news to indigenous people, it would not be felt as good news. Not until there's some more work done in my heart than yours. But, many of us, and I speak this without judgment, I speak this just openly, we're not ready for that because we don't even acknowledge that we have a problem. We don't even acknowledge that there's an issue. And this is, yeah, circle back for a moment, this is why the posture is so critical. That if we don't have a posture of openness where we are regularly getting in front of Jesus and saying, Jesus, here I am. You know, here I am. We're never going to know half this stuff. And so the posture is critical so that God can do this preparation work in our hearts. Now, I use indigenous people because I've been growing in my friendship with indigenous folks and learning and growing and, and, and the Holy Spirit is, is continuing to uproot things in me and perspectives. But, you know, we can apply it to a lot of other categories. And that's why I say it could be, I mean, another thing the Holy Spirit's doing in my life, and I don't know why, is um, every other friend I have right now is LDS. And I think, Lord Jesus, what are you doing? And I'm having to root things through and trying to figure things out and trying to grow my heart for LDS people. And... uh, and I love them. And I, I, every, every day it feels like that I'm, I'm challenged to thinking through, how do I share the good news of you, Jesus, with, with friends in the LDS community? Um, I'm, just, I'm just challenged by the work that Jesus has to do in my heart. All the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. So that I don't, I don't just, well, bring the good news like a hammer, which is my temptation. How do I do that? That's, that's, that's two areas for me. I, I don't know what it might be for you. It could be the way that you feel about uh, people uh, who identify as LGBTQ. It, it, that could be it. But the Holy Spirit has to do a whole bunch of work in your heart before you can really be the bearer of the gospel, the good news of Jesus to people of a different sexual orientation or, or, or different perspectives on that. It could be that um, you have um, very strong feelings about people from a certain political persuasion. I remember being at a party a couple years ago when a a retired pastor told me, I hate people on the left. No, I don't think that's not quite how he said it. I think he said, I hate those lefties. I think that's how he said it. There was quite a bit of passion in that. Now, you can have political beliefs, but friends, the good news of Jesus would suggest that if your gut level reaction is hatred toward the lefties or the righties or the whatevers, it might suggest the Holy Spirit has some preparation work to do in your heart. Because he wants you to bear his good news to people 
wherever they sit on the political spectrum. He wants you to believe firmly and compassionately that the good news of Jesus is for them. But He might need to prep you a bit more before He sends you. You know what I'm saying? Am I stepping on anyone's toes here today? I'm stepping on my own toes, but... Oh, man. We're often unaware of these things, and I know it. I know it in my own heart. I know it. And so, the challenge for me in this story is not only must I pay attention to my posture, but I need to be open to the preparation work the Holy Spirit wants to do in me, which can be quite painful. I don't think any of us grasp how gut-wrenching and awful Peter had the equivalent of a Jewish nightmare. I say that not to be funny. That was a horrifying dream he had. And then to have the voice of God Himself telling him to have a barbecue was terrible. And we have no idea just how horrible that was. Except maybe if you think of the person that makes you feel sick inside and God says, by the way, meet your new best friend. What goes on in here? The Holy Spirit wants to unearth and uproot to bring true, deep conversion into your heart and mind, into your life. Perhaps it is true that as Christians, if you are a Christian, that you also need to be converted some more so that you can really be the bearer of good news to others. So, my question, second question of the morning is this. Where does Jesus need to convert you? You may be somewhat aware. You may be completely unaware. Can I just invite you to consider this assumption? Assume that somewhere you need more conversion. Can I say that? Anyone here brave enough to say, not me? I'm not. Assume you need a deeper work. When you come in that posture of openness and prayer, assume the Holy Spirit has something He'd like to share with you. Now, He wants to minister to you and reveal how much He loves you and how passionate He is for you and He's going to draw you more deeply into His life. And along the way, He's going to say, oh, and by the way, let's talk about them. Be open to that. Where does Jesus need to convert you? Third, The plan. One thing is beautifully clear in this story. God is orchestrating this whole thing. I already highlighted that. I love the image in my mind of over the top of Peter's praying shoulder, three Gentiles come across the hill. I love it. God is working out even the timing so that at just the right moment, two worlds colliding. Yeah? (laughs) And the world is never the same. God is orchestrating His plan. He's committed to bringing the good news to the world. He's doing it through the church. He did it and is doing it through the Jews. And now, first to the Jews and now to the Gentiles, the whole world is being included. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And God is behind it all. Now, one of the things that's beautiful about that is it gives us incredible confidence that God, the Holy Spirit, 
is fulfilling that promise that Jesus gave and he is committed to doing that and he's right into the mix and the mess of things to make it happen. That gives us incredible confidence. We can know that God is at work. He was at work then. He is at work now. But the Holy Spirit is just as committed to bringing the good news about Jesus through you and I to the world doing whatever he has to do in here to get the gospel out there. He's just as committed to that now in 2020. What day is it? February 9th, 2020. Just as committed as he was that day when he sent Cornelius and his buddies, you know, over the hill to meet Simon. Just as committed. And this impacts our confidence. And so I move directly to application on this one. My challenge to us all is this, that we would act, (laughs) that we would act as though God's plan is already happening in the lives, in the families, in the workplaces, in the schools, in the places you and I are each and every day, that we would act as though God's plan is already happening because guess guess what? It is already happening. The Holy Spirit is already present. When you walk in a room, you did not get there before God did. When you walk into a relationship, you were not the first one in this relationship speaking. When you finally engage a friend about faith, you are not the first one to bring it up. The Holy Spirit is already at work. He partners with us to bring the good news, but assume that God's plan is already in action. And so we can go into any situation any uh, place. And we can, with eyes trained through the posture and the preparation, we can look for Him at work. We can look for where uh, there's openness. We can look for where there's signs of struggle. We can look for where there's desires that are unmet. We can look for hope or despair. We can look for the things, the meaninglessness, as well as the things people are chasing. We can look and see that God's Spirit is at work. And He has sent us in as His witnesses into these relationships, into these places, so that we can point people, sometimes with what we say, usually with what we do, to the good news about Jesus. We look for Him at work. Because Jesus is always at work bringing people together. Always at work winning people over, chasing people down, bringing reconciliation, offering forgiveness. He's always at work. But He has chosen you and I to be part of that so people can come to know Jesus. So, God is already at work. Act like it. Live like it. And that will increase our confidence. And that brings us back really in full circle to posture again. Because as we assume that God is at work, as we are watching for Him, as we are open for His work, and then we are regularly connecting with Him in these times of of prayer or sitting or quiet or reading Scripture, whatever habits of posture we might have, this works together. As we see God at work and we bring that back into our posture of openness and the Holy Spirit speaks and continues to prepare us yet again with greater openness, with greater repentance to what He's doing and then brings us back out into His plan, there's a, there's a, there's a way in which this reinforces us, reinforces what God is doing in us and in the world. The more prayerful we are, the more Scripture-infused we are, the more we will hear Him, the more we will receive His work in us, but the more we'll see Him at work out there. It's all together. Well, wow. 
I'm not five pages was all, folks. I thought I was going to be shorter today. Any questions? <laughs> Any anything that you just I want to say this, I gotta say this, or I've got to ask this question. Anyone? I'll repeat it for the podcast so that it's understood by those listening online. Um, anyone have a question that you're burning to ask this morning before we close? We used to do this all the time. We were out of habit, right? Uh, a little question, a little discussion. Any, anything you'd like to raise? Oh, man. I'm not going to take this as a sign that I cleared up all the questions. I'm going to take this as a sign that we're out of shape. And I've got to ask, i got to uh, allow for this more often. Or maybe I should take this as a sign that you want to go to lunch. Okay. Well, Posture, preparation, and plan. I hope you can leave today with that ringing in your mind. What is your posture? Where does God need to do some preparation in me? But how can I live as though God is already at work because He is? Posture, preparation, plan. The more the gospel gets in here, the more it will get out there. I hope you'll come back next week because the second half of the story is really good too. That's even better. This is just, you know, guys getting their marching directions. Next week we're going to see an amazing event as the Holy Spirit comes and includes Cornelius and his whole family in the New Covenant people of God. It's amazing and you're all inheritors of that story. So would you stand with me and let's uh, close in prayer. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your work among us. I pray that you would increase our confidence that you are at work, that you are so committed to bringing the good news that Jesus died and rose again and changes everything, committed to bringing that to the world still, today, after all these years. And humbly and unbelievably, we are part of that, a critical part of that. I pray very simply, Lord, that you would take the words that were spoken today and maybe there's one thing, one step, action, response that we need to make. I pray that you would identify, help us identify what that one thing is and that you would give us the grace and the power to do it. May we be open to the work of your Holy Spirit in us so that we can be bearers of your good news to the world. And now would you send us, Holy Spirit, in the power of of your grace? Would you send us, Father, open to you? And Jesus, Jesus, would you send us now, ready to tell through our words and our deeds, you are alive and that changes everything. Would you send us now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time, or you have been following him for years. If you have been listening for a while, perhaps you're wondering how you can support the church financially. To find out, please go to ericksoncovenant.ca and click on the Donate tab. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Every day we are seeking to help people to find and follow Jesus.